0: Ultrasound Gel
1: Podcast. Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila, and I'm joined by none other than Michael Pratt's. Mike, how's it going, man? Jacob, thanks for asking. You know, I actually have a lot of
0: things on my mind I was hoping we could talk about. Could just hash it out? Maybe another time.
1: All right. Are you sure? I got, I got a little bit of time. No, s- I'm fine. Okay. I'm fine. That's what I mean. I'm fine. Well... As I'm sure one of the things that's stressing you out is aortic dissections and how we can integrate point-of-care ultrasound into our evaluation of aortic dissection patients. I mean, that keeps me up at night because I know that it has to be helpful, but there hasn't been a whole lot of literature from emergency physicians using point-of-care ultrasound, specifically in the evaluation of dissection.
0: That was it. Is that one of the things that's on your mind? That was, the ho- that was the only thing on my mind. It was really bumming me out, but if we could solve that problem, I'd feel a lot better.
1: Mike, have I got a surprise for you today. The article that we're going to talk about is called Early Screening for Aortic Dissection with Point-of-Care Ultrasound by Emergency Physicians, a Prospective Pilot Study. And it was published in 2020 in the Journal of Ultrasound in Medicine. And you showed me this article and it just like, I freaked out when I read it because it was so interesting and so good. Yeah, I'm excited. So aortic dissection is one of these, uh, I call them not fair diseases because it can really present as anything. And then you don't really have a whole lot of time to figure it out. In fact, the mortality of an undiagnosed dissection goes up. I I don't know, they mentioned it here, like one to 2% every hour that you miss this diagnosis. Now we know with ultrasound that we can diagnose dissections. Uh, We just look for that flappy thing inside the aorta and we know that's a dissection. But how does the evaluation of that actually translate to using it clinically and this study actually asked that same question now one of the things that I'm excited about is now reading this Mike correct me if I'm wrong but it seems like this was just like a residency project that that two residents did
0: I would hesitate to say just a residency project this was an incredible project these residents did a an incredible job to fulfill their academic requirements for residency and I think that they should be an example to all who are pursuing this career so the questions that they're asking in the study is what is the accuracy of -of point-of-care ultrasound for an acute aortic dissection and then interestingly they looked at some secondary endpoints too which they phrased as what is the time delay caused by point-of-care ultrasound evaluation for acute aortic dissection but they wanted to see how much time it took for certain endpoints and this was a single center in China and the data was collected from 2016. They included adult patients who presented to the emergency department who were high risk for aortic dissection. And that's based on concerning historical and physical exam findings. That's a key point. These are high risk patients, not just anybody who maybe could have had an aortic dissection. They only excluded people who refused getting the ultrasound.
1: Who would do that? Who would refuse to get an
0: ultrasound? Well, we got to respect people's decisions whether they, You're right. whether You're they right. want uh, to be in the study or not. All right, fine. <laughs> okay. So if they refused, if they had trauma to their chest, or if they're in cardiac arrest. Here's how they did this study. Prospectively, but non-randomized, convenience sample. So by that I mean they enrolled patients who showed up to the emergency department and It was determined whether they would go into the ultrasound or the non-ultrasound group based on if some of the study investigators were present for a shift at that time. So that's why it's a convenient sample. But people who met the inclusion criteria were either placed in the POCUS or a non-POCUS group, and the way that it went was if they're in the POCUS group, these investigators were called immediately, they're blinded to the history or exam, although obviously they knew that an aortic dissection was suspected, and they were not the treating provider. So they did their POCUS exam prior to getting a CT angiography of the aorta. And only patients that were in the POCUS group got an ultrasound. Everybody else just got the normal stuff for this shop. ECG, labs, and everybody got CT angiography because that was their reference standard for comparison. The primary outcomes were sensitivity and specificity of POCUS compared to the CT. Seems pretty reasonable. They also recorded several times, and let me detail those. Time to diagnosis, that ended when definitive diagnosis was achieved. Time to CT completion was when the CT ended. And time to initiation of treatment was whenever somebody started medications for blood pressure or heart rate control. And those were all metrics they were comparing between these two arms. Then they also checked inpatient hospital mortality and three-month mortality between the groups. They did a subgroup analysis to comparing Stanford type A and B aortic dissections to see if that mattered at all. And like Jacob mentioned in the beginning, the investigators here are two senior emergency medicine residents. They didn't do any specific training for this from what I could read in the paper, but they all received a one-week didactic and hands-on training in ultrasound, which actually included learning all sorts of ultrasound. It was not specific to the aorta. They had at a minimum 20 scans of experience with ultrasound of the aorta. So regarding what they did, because it's always important what their protocol was for ultrasound they mentioned something i'd never heard of before which was called the a to f mnemonic which is alphabetical and it stands for aorta both ventricles contractility dimensions of the aorta and chambers effusion and further abnormalities Kind of interesting. I hadn't heard about it, and we'll put a link up to that in the blog article. But they systematically went through this, which includes an evaluation of the aorta, including a supra-sternal notch view, and also an evaluation of the heart and lungs. They used a phased array transducer. Hey, Mike. Yeah.
1: Sorry. Can we refer to it as the POCUS AF examination? <laughs> like... I
0: think so. Can we? Ma- I'm gonna make that a T-shirt though. Like Pocus AF, and then just on the back, write down A through
1: F. I was thinking about doing it in like ACDC lightning text. What do you think? I think that's great. That's a good idea. Hold on, I gotta, I gotta write this. I mean, I'm, I'm digressing heavily, but I'm gonna write this on my to-do list. I'm like really gonna do this. Make a. It's in caps, by the way, in my notes. Make a Pocus AF T-shirt.
0: One thing I wanted to clarify is what counted as seeing an aortic dissection on their POCUS. Because we discussed an article previously about aortic dissection where they were trying to rule out aortic dissection using POCUS and a D-dimer, and they separated it in this prior article into high-risk findings and kind of nonspecific, less direct findings.
1: Like an effusion?
0: Exactly. Yeah. So like pericardial effusion would be an indirect finding of an aortic dissection. In the article at hand here, they focused only on direct, very specific findings, essentially just seeing a flap. And I kind of liked how they defined this flap because they said, quote, undulating motion concordant with pulsatile blood flow, independent of excursion of the aortic wall. Wow. And you had to see it in at least two planes. So that seems pretty fair. I like their definition of aortic dissection. So Jacob, now that we know how they did this scan, we know who they were doing it on, what
1: did this study show us? They were able to enroll 127 patients. They had 55 in the control group. So that's patients that came in high risk that were there when the study authors were not there. And then 72 patients in the ultrasound group. So they had actually had a pretty high prevalence in the patients that were enrolled in the ultrasound group. They actually had aortic dissection diagnosed in 61.1% of those patients. Wow. It's kind of intense. And out of those patients, they had zero false positives and they had six false negatives. That brings us to a specificity of 100% and a sensitivity of 86.4%, which is really good numbers, I think for anything point of care ultrasound. And this is two residents doing it. And I don't, and again, I I keep saying this because, you know, I I don't want it to be implied that I think that residents aren't, you know, phenomenal clinicians and great at ultrasound. But to me, this kind of shows me that somebody with you know, to be honest, not a whole lot of training can get really good numbers when you use the CTA as the gold standard. I mean, I, I would say that at most that is my accuracy and I've you know, been doing it for a little bit longer than probably these residents had. They also divide the type A and type B as far as sensitivity and specificity. The specificity, since it was 100% for type A and type B are all the same, the sensitivity actually is higher with a type A dissection, so one in the chest, that was a sensitivity of 90.9%, but when you talk about type B dissections, the sensitivity goes down to 81.9%, which is still pretty good numbers. I'm wondering, Mike, if that sensitivity was because it can be a little bit difficult to visualize the descending thoracic aorta. I'm wondering if that's like where they kind of like missed a few.
0: Yeah, I'm guessing that some bowel gas got in the way of the abdominal aorta or if they couldn't see it as well and some of the views they got.
1: They had some secondary outcomes, which Mike, you mentioned that they did, which are good because one of the things that I hear is, oh, is this going to delay care? And it turns out that it doesn't. So So they looked at a few things door to diagnosis door to CT and door to the treatment time and the door to diagnosis time no surprise there was significantly shorter when you use that ultrasound so in minutes, it was 79 minutes in the control group, which is I think pretty reasonable, but in the ultrasound group, it was 10 and a half minutes. 10 and a half minutes from door to diagnosis, which would matter. Um, The door to CT scan, there was no statistically significant difference. And the same thing with the door to treatment time in this group.
0: A quick note on some of these results is that the size of the population changed on the secondary outcomes. So remember, for the accuracy outcomes, they really could only evaluate the POCUS arm. It wouldn't make sense to evaluate the CT versus CT again. So the end for the accuracy outcomes was 72. It was only the patients in the POCUS arm. But now when we're looking at these other endpoints, such as the time savings, the end is 127, the full population.
1: That Mike, that's a great point. The last piece of the puzzle here is mortality. Their in-hospital mortality and their mortality within three months of discharge was not statistically significant. So it was about the same. Now, one of the things that i would be curious about is had this study been done, had this study been powered to look at those things, I'm wondering if there would have been any difference. Because, like we mentioned, this was like it was almost like a feasible, a huge feasibility study in a sense.
0: Yeah. And you know, I have a sneaking suspicion that the authors reframed these endpoints after seeing some of the results because if you think about what would be ideal like the whole reason that we're using ultrasound is to try to save time we're trying to improve the time get them to an intervention faster or even even if it got them to CT faster that would be that would be great news but i think when they saw this is maybe i'm being cynical but my guess is when they saw it, it didn't save any time at all or or it didn't have any important difference in these endpoints, then they're like, well, let's at least say it doesn't hurt the patient, it doesn't show anything negative to their times.
1: Which is fine though. I mean, when you, you have something that's the gold standard CTA and you're trying to see how something else compares to the gold standard, I mean, the, almost the first question that needs to be asked is is it non inferior? You know, how does it relate to that thing in a way that doesn't harm patients? And, you know, uh, obviously I'm a proponent of ultrasound and theoretically there could be a delay. So I'm okay with the way that they did this and I'm okay with the numbers. And I mean, it, it's, a, it's a fairly big end for ear dissections.
0: Yeah, it's it's a great study. And I think we have to ask the question, so why did it save time on that first thing, door to diagnosis? It saved like an hour. But then it didn't save time on any of the other endpoints. Like that didn't affect the the amount of time till they got their CT or they got any treatment or their mortality down the road. So why would that be? And I've been trying to think about this, and my guess is that These were high-risk patients, so maybe people weren't waiting to get that definitive diagnosis before they started doing stuff. So they may have still ordered the CT at the same time. Maybe they even initiated their treatment before, quote-unquote, having that definitive diagnosis. So I think that's the question that we got to ask with POCUS. What are we trying to do here with this scan? And in my mind, it's still expedite getting definitive treatment you know whether it's type a or type b you might have different treatment pathways but these people need attention pretty quickly and i think that there's still a role for point of care ultrasound in solidifying that diagnosis for you so that you can get there and in this study it just it just didn't show that
1: i think that we should do a caution also um to talk about like the importance of understanding how to apply a test So this is like in a in a high risk, in a high risk patient population, I think ultrasound can be used to definitively rule in, but even this like pretty good sensitivity of 86.4% in a high risk group, this is not sufficient to rule out a dissection if you have a high clinical suspicion.
0: Yeah, I think the bottom line with these results is the jury is still out on some of these important patient centered outcomes because this study may have not, this study almost certainly was not powered enough to show a mortality difference and possibly a lot of the other differences that were not seen here. And furthermore, it might be more useful to examine more of these endpoints, breaking it down like they did between type A and type B because type A are more likely surgical candidates whereas type b might not so maybe it's more important in that population so let me summarize this article this was a prospective non-randomized observational study from a chinese emergency department evaluating 127 patients who are high risk for aortic dissection they ended up with a sensitivity of 86.4 percent 100 percent specificity compared to ct angiography and although there was a 70 minute faster time to diagnosis in the POCUS group, this didn't translate into any other measured benefits down the road. So our take-home points from this article are that in a high-risk population, POCUS findings for aortic dissection can be very specific. And POCUS can potentially decrease your time to diagnosis, but it's still unclear if this translates into downstream patient-centered benefits. But thanks so much to these authors for doing the study really awesome work especially if this was done during a busy emergency medicine residency great job to them and thank you for listening to our podcast we always appreciate it quick shout out for our 100th episode We are still accepting contributions. If you want to tell us your dreams for POCUS research, email mike at ultrasoundgel.org or go to our website for more information. We would love to hear from you and have you on our 100th podcast episode. Until then, feel free to talk to us on Twitter, check out our Facebook page. Otherwise, we will talk to you later.
1: (laughs) More pressure, more challenge. More pressure, more gel, more pressure, gel. No, it just—it's what it said. <laughs> it said "Pocus AF." <laughs> I, what?